Hey everyone, thanks for taking time to listen to our latest sermon. A sermon about the life of a king named David and the truths we can take from it on living a meaningful life ourselves. Before it plays, I want to update you on two things. First, we have built a new website to serve as a central hub for our church. The site is creekside.me and on it you can subscribe to our newsletter, sign up for an event, donate money, and even let us know how God has used this sermon to impact you. The other thing that I want to let you know about is that our sermon videos are now available on our website. If you'd rather watch this sermon than listen to it, just visit wilsonville.church David. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I know what you're thinking. He's way overdressed for this church, right? Uh-huh. Um, I uh, am doing a wedding after church today. Uh, they want me in Monmouth at 1, and I usually leave here at about 1. And so uh, I decided I should just be dressed up and leave straight from here. Uh, so if you're visiting with us today, yeah, you dress normally, and I dressed abnormally. I never look like this. Um, I find suits to be oddly comfortable, though, compared to skinny jeans, at least. Um, <laughs> so I actually was dressed up on Monday night, too, last Monday, and we, uh, my wife and Bryn and I and Hudson was with us, too. I was at a, a thing for our denomination, and I was speaking, and uh, just a funny part of that whole deal is, is I was told to speak for about 20 to 25 minutes. There's 20 to 25-minute sermon is what they had told me up front. And it's like 8.54, and the thing had started at 7 o'clock. So we've been going an hour and 54 minutes. Nobody wants to hear anybody talk after an hour and 54 minutes, I'll tell you that. But I whispered to like the one guy in our denomination that, I, that I'm kind of close to, and I say, what time is this supposed to end? And he's like, oh, you're fine with time. Just be a little bit brief. It's supposed to be done at 9. That's six minutes from now. Like, that's, uh, that's not 20 to 25 minutes. So I talked incredibly fast, faster than I normally talk, and got it done. But the, the real issue is that we were late coming back to pick up uh, our daughter Hazel at Matt and Ashley's house, our, our sister and brother-in-law. And they were expecting us back at like 9.30, and I started speaking at 9, you know. And so, uh, and we were, in, uh, we were in North Portland, and so we're super late, and everybody wants to meet the person who talked afterwards, and we're super late. And we're driving back on I-5, and all of a sudden, brake lights are doing weird things out in front of us. And it's kind of foggy, and it's dark, and, and things are just looking abnormal all of a sudden, and and so I'm slowing down, and Bryn's like, I think there's a wreck, and you, we can't really tell much. But as uh, luck would have it, uh, we end up being the second people on the scene of what looks to be a major accident. I mean, a semi-truck is smashed into the side, and, and you can tell there's a truck involved, but you can't really see what else has actually happened. And so we pull over to the side of the road and, and there's a truck that stops in front of us. And I say, Bryn, call 911. And, I, and I'm kind of fast walking up, you know, to see what's happening. And, and the first person driving a white truck is calling 911 but not getting out of his car to do anything. 
And so I yelled out at him, you're going to be a sermon illustration. No, I'm just kidding. But, but this frustrated me. And, and I thought about this guy. I don't know if it was fear or he thought he should call 911 first. I'm pretty sure he got out of his car later. It wasn't like dangerous to get out of your car at that point. Traffic was slamming on its brakes, as every Oregonian knows they must do to look at every accident on the freeway. Uh, and so, I mean, it's safer to get out on the side of the road at that point than any other point. And, um, and so I got up there, and everybody was fine, thankfully. I mean, this guy had flipped onto Boone's Ferry off of I-5, the truck that this semi had hit. Uh, there's no more fence there by Camping World. You can go look at it. Uh, but, but I thought about this guy in his truck, and uh, the white truck who hadn't been hit, who just stopped and thought, I'll call 911 and, and wait for them to get here. And I was thinking, like, as I do this sermon series on living a life of impact, that there's probably a lot of people who are just want to live like that, right? Like everything I've said in this series, probably beneficial if you're the kind of person that gets out of their car to help, if you're the kind of person that wants to make a difference, if you're the kind of person that, that wants to help, you know, that wants to, to make an impact. Even if you're scared a little and you don't know how to make an impact and you're not sure you, you know what to do, I mean, there's two types of people. There's the kind of people who stay in their car and there's the kind of people who get out of their car and do something. It reminded me after this whole accident of another time in my life where I'm sitting on the parkway in Salem, which is a road 55 miles an hour, and I was going to my grandma's house to print a paper, probably to finish and print a paper before my 8 a.m. class. So it was probably like 6 in the morning. It was dark. It was also kind of foggy, oddly. And all of a sudden, like, everything was weird again. And, and, and I felt like this kid was riding his bike across the parkway, but traffic was still flying. And then all of a sudden there was a noise and then this kid is like flew. I mean, I'm talking from like here to the soundboard in the back, like just he got crushed. And and I I just opened my door and jumped out and tried to stop traffic. I had no chance. The next sound I heard was I was driving my uncle's car that morning and I thought that the next car had taken out his car door, but it hadn't. He had hit the guy's bike um, and it had taken it down the road. Um, and that kid, I think, lived too, but everybody's living. So, But I, I had, didn't have the ability to do anything. I couldn't stop traffic. It was dark. I was probably wearing navy blue because I was probably wearing my like baseball sweatpants because that's what I wore in college you know and and so like I had no chance but but again I think there's two kinds of people there's people who want to make a difference and who are willing to to step out and try and there's people who aren't and as we finish this series I just want to say I hope you're a person that that's willing to give it a shot right like I I know that I've given you some important lessons from the life of David about how you can live a more meaningful life and and almost Every person, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you want to live a more meaningful life, right? I mean, w when you listen to people that talk about church advertising, they tell you to appeal, of, to appeal to like one of three things in people. And one of those three things is people's desire, no matter who they are, no matter how far from God they are, people's desire to, to be more meaningful, to have more of an impact, to feel like their lives have purpose. But I'm also aware that, that even though we've seen these things, some of you won't try. And, and I hope that that won't be you. I hope that you'll try. And so as we move to this, this last, this last kind of story in David's life that comes right near the end of his life, in fact, I just hope 
that this morning you'll make a decision if you haven't already to say, God, I, I want to live more impactfully. I want to live a life that actually makes a difference. I want to get out of my car. I don't just want to make a phone call and say, I hope that they do something great. I hope that somebody else in the church does something awesome. I hope that somebody else fixes this issue that I've longed to fix. I want to do something. Now, this last story is a little bit um, paradoxical to what I just said, because we're going to see in this story that that it's all about helping somebody else do the thing that you want to do. But we'll see at the very heart of it is just a passionate desire to make a difference. But here's, here's the other part of this deal. Sometimes when we think and believe and, and feel that we want to make a difference, it can become inherently uh, prideful and selfish, right? And this is me preaching to me right now because when I think about the world being impacted for Jesus... I often think about me, (laughs) you know, like I want to see God, your glory, and I want to see your kingdom move forward, but the prayer sounds more like this, God, help me to be a part of your kingdom moving forward and your glory, and really, in my prayers, you could hear quite quickly that there is some part of me that's selfish when it comes to even the most holy good things, uh, the things of, of God and wanting to make a difference for him. It's like, God, make a difference, but I want to be a part of that difference. And in the story that we look at in the life of David today, we see him just beautifully, I think, balance this desire to see the world impacted, a desire to get out of the truck and do something with a recognition that it's not going to be him that can make the difference. It's going to be somebody else. And the way in which he responds to the desire to do something but the knowledge that he can't, I think all of us can really just grab it and say, wait, I I could do that. I could do that too. I could do that too. And so here's the story. 1 Chronicles 28.1. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. So verse 1 just says, like, David's about to say something really, really important. At this point in David's life, he's 70 to 75 years old. And in the next chapter, he dies, which chronologically, there's a little bit of debate about this, but chronologically is not very long after this moment. And so David is coming near the end of his life. And so this sermon is going to apply to all people. But if you're like older and and you're like, man, Chad, all that stuff you said, it just feels like it's been geared towards young people. And I'm past slaying giants, you know, and doing all that stuff. Like I don't have the energy to, to take my brother's food, let alone go fight the giant after I get there. Well, well, this sermon says like, hey, 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 even if you're too old to fight the giant, you can still bring glory to God. And, and we'll see that, I think, beautifully and, and really masterfully in this story. And in verses two and three, it says, King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I notice this. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name. 
because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Now, this is this is so just cool and interesting and and frustrating in some ways, if you're David especially, but even for me looking back. I mean, first of all, the first thing so clearly here is that David has it in his heart to do this great thing for God. And what he wants to do is he wants to build a building that we call the temple, and they probably called it that in Hebrew, the temple, and he wants to build this because he's looking around and he's seeing that the presence of God is in this mobile place, the strong presence of God where people glow when they approach it, the Ark of the Covenant, which cannot be touched or people will die. I mean, the the center of God's presence. We believe God is uh, able to be everywhere, that he's all-powerful and all-knowing, but the the very center of that presence is is in this mobile place thing that people carry around and David's like "Eh, if I'm going to glorify God the way that I want to and our people that I govern and I lead are going to glorify God and the greatest ways then then God needs a place to rest just kind of play on words where it says the people were at rest in the kingdom and now David's saying well wait if we're at rest if there's peace in our land if things are good for us then God should have a footstool he should be able to put his feet up and he should have a place for us to worship him and for him to speak to us from. This is a good thing, right? I mean, of course God would want him to do it. But then this other really interesting part is, is God says, sorry, you, you can't. You can't. Now, first of all, I hope that you have it in your heart to do something for God I would just word it like this to be maybe more convicting because I, I think most people don't. <laughs> most people have it in their hearts to do something for themselves. But, but I, w- I would just word it as a question like, what do you have in your heart to do for God? Anything? Because David, at, I mean, he's at the tail end of his life here. He doesn't have much longer to live. He's been through hardships. He's struggled. We talked about last week how uh, the beginning of his life until the point where he committed this atrocious sin was really good and always on the upswing. And then the later half of his life was kind of on the downswing. And so David has reason to be bitter and reason to be like, I'm old And 70 to 75 back then was probably much older than it is today, I would imagine, without our modern health care. I'm just trying to not offend anybody. But, you know, I mean, this was, this was, David is is an old man by, by their standards, even if not by our standards. And he has every reason to just be like, he did my job. You know, I mean, I've ran a good kingdom here. I've led our country to peace. We've conquered many lands. I've done incredible things for the glory of God. Let me shut it down. But still... He has it in his heart to do something else for God. And I would just offer that no matter what age you're at, no matter what you've been through, no matter how difficult life seems for you right now, you ought to be a person that has it in your heart to do something for God if you're a Christian. There should be something inside of you that you say, I I just, I don't even know if it's possible, but I want to, God. I want to do this for you. I want to do whatever it is for you. And that's not going to be the same for each of us, for all of us. That's going to be different, but I hope. And and if you don't, you should really pray about this. Like, God, what is it you want me to accomplish for you? What is it that you want me to do? But imagine you go home now, and you pray, and all of a sudden you just have like this super spiritual moment, and God reveals to you, like, 
like, or put something in your heart, and you're like, I want to accomplish this for God. And then God says, sorry, you can't do it. Be like, what? Like, I listened to the sermon, and I was thinking about you, and look at all the other people who don't want to do anything for you. How dare you tell me that I can't do it? That's, that's how I, I mean, not really, but kind of want David to respond here. Like, to go, wait a minute, I'll pray more, and duh. You know, like, that's not an acceptable response, God. Like, I want to do something for you. But that's not at all what David does. Now, listen, if you want to do something for God, and God says it's not going to be you that does it, that's going to call into question your motives, isn't it? I mean, for me, let's just put it in, in Chad terms right here, like, it's one of our, our goals at this church. It's one of my dreams that we'll be baptizing people every single Sunday, that, that we'll grow in such a way and, and continue to be a church that has the right priorities and thinking about people outside of our church but still being this great church that loves each other and cares about each other to the point that people want to be a part of it. And, and my hope, I mean, like really, if you ask me, what's the future goal of our church, the only thing thing I really I mean I have all these things I want us to be but like the only real stated goal of our church is that every Sunday we will just be baptizing people that will be like a normal Sunday like we'll do communion and we'll baptize people and and, and we'll stick around maybe and eat that's part of my dream too that we eat every Sunday but this may be further away than the baptisms I don't know but but like we'll stick around we'll eat we'll baptize people this will happen every single Sunday because God's using us so much now what if I said to God like this is what I have it in my heart to do to see and he's like, Chad, that's great. And that's all going to happen at Creekside Bible Church. But you have to leave. Now that's really calling into question my motives, right? Do I just want to lead a great organization? Or do I really want to see Jesus glorified through people coming to salvation, making a commitment to Jesus? That calls it into question because I'm like, God, I have a new plan. I want the other church to do that. You know, the one I go to. Like This, this reveals our motives. And, and here you see that David's motives are extremely pure. He says, I want to build this house. And then in 4 through 7, he says, Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, listen to what he draws upon here. He draws upon what God has already done. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah, he chose my family. And from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord God has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I've chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. Now, there's two like really important things that David just kind of draws upon here because he says, look, I want to build this. God told me no. And he says, but remember all that God has done for me. You see, David's pure motives here, I think, come, seems to come from this place of understanding that it was purely by God's grace that, that all these things had happened to him and his family. If you remember back to the beginning of the sermon series, I mean, David is this shepherd boy, the youngest in his family, the one that when, uh, when Solomon not Solomon, Samuel, the prophet in the land, had 
come to anoint one of these kids as the future king. The dad had left him in the field with the sheep. He's like an afterthought to the story, but yet he is the one whom God chose and said, look, there's this thing called the Davidic covenant where he's like, you will have one of your heirs on the throne forever and ever. And David, David draws upon that and says, look at all that God has done for me. You see, I think that we can have pure motives for God when we stop thinking about us and all that we can accomplish and we start to think about all that God has already accomplished for us. When it comes to us who are Christians, I mean, it's, it's simple, right? We look at the cross of Jesus and we say, wow, I am a sinner and yet God looked down from heaven and, and he came down from heaven to earth. He lived perfectly and then he died on a cross so that I might be forgiven from that sin and then he rose again so that I might have life forevermore. And now I have grace and peace and forgiveness and, the, and the hope of an eternity in heaven. And so when our, when our ideas for God are shot down and God says, yeah, that's great, but I'm going to have somebody else do it. It's, it should be easy. It's hard, I know. But it should be easy for us to go, wow, God's done so much for me. This is all about him. This isn't about me and what I can do. This is about what I want to see done for God. But the other side of this is I'm sure, and we see this in especially large churches in our country today, when there is a, a leader who is at the face of all of the growth and all of the prosperity, it is really difficult for people to say, wow, God can actually continue to do work even when that person is gone, right? And we see this sometimes when a leader of a major organization a church organization especially the face of the franchise if you will and that's more accurate than I wish it was but when the face of the franchise stumbles then, then things just crumble oftentimes right and so when David begins the speech by saying I want to do this thing for God but he said no I'm sure that some of these leaders who are faithful men of God are like Oh man, it's never going to happen then. And what David does in the speech is he says, look at all that God has done. Look at how he has led us to this place and understand that you don't trust me or you shouldn't trust me. You should trust God, not me. It's all about your trust in God. He's the one that's going to accomplish this. He's the one that is for. He's the one that's going to work. He's the one that's led us here and he's the one that will lead us there. So far, this sermon sounds like a sermon where I tell you at the end I'm leaving the church, but uh, I, I didn't even think of that until right now, but I'm really not. So uh, just so you know, it's all just right there in the passage. Um, and so here, here's the first thing that you just need to really kind of grasp onto and understand uh, is that David is looking at these people and he's saying, hey, the first thing that you need to know is that, that it's all about trusting God. You shouldn't place your trust in me as a leader. You should place your trust in God. And in 1 Chronicles 28, 8 through 10, it continues. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, 
he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Obedience is really key in this chapter. Solomon's obedience to God, the people's obedience to God, the Davidic covenant was in large part, uh, it, it, it hinged on the people's desire and willingness to be obedient to God. And so David offers this reminder like, hey, you trust God, but also you need to follow God. Now this phrase kind of in the middle of this that he says to Solomon, I just think is, is so valuable. He says, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion with a willing mind. This is what drove David's life, right? He was, he was unwavering in his devotion to God and his desire to be obedient to God and his desire to see God glorified. And I hope that that's the, the driving force of your life. One pure and holy passion, as we just sang, to know and follow hard after God. But more to the point this morning is that David says this to his son Solomon. And, and what I totally believe is that if you want to have an incredible impact, then one of the great things you can do is you can encourage somebody else to wholeheartedly be devoted to God. Now, first we see this, that David equips others by by saying, look, trust God, right? He equips them. He says, look, I, I can't do the work, but I'll equip you to do the work. And he does that first by saying, trust God. Don't trust me. Don't trust a leader. Trust God to get this done because look at all that God has done. He, he equips people to impact the world by saying, trust God. And now he says, look, I need to equip you to do this job, this job that I can't do, that I want to see done for the glory of God. And I'm going to equip you secondly by saying you need to be wholeheartedly devoted to God. I just believe that, that that sentence that I just read, this idea of acknowledging God and serving him wholeheartedly, I mean, if you're not actively trying to impart that to somebody else, then you aren't doing your best to make an impact in the world. I mean, yeah, I think about your, your children or your spouse or somebody that you're actively discipling and trying to lead closer to Jesus. If there's nobody in your life that you are actively striving to help them fully live for God, for the glory of God, to be fully obedient to God, then you're really not doing your best to live a life that is meaningful and makes an impact, a difference for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of Jesus. The first thing we gotta do if we're going to make an impact is equip somebody else to trust God, but we also must equip somebody else to live for God wholeheartedly. I think it's so cool that David does this and he, he, he lived as an example of this, which is important, right? Because it's really almost bad to be like, hey, you should wholeheartedly serve God, but I'm not going to. But we should live in such a way where it's natural for us to say, look, I'm not perfect. But what I want is to wholeheartedly devote my life to God. And you should too, you should too. And so David equips others by saying trust God and then he equips others by exhorting wholehearted devotion to God but there's this other this other little phrase there that, that goes along with what I've already said he says to Solomon consider what God would have you do consider what God has called you to do and I'm telling you there's two things I think that are really important I mean first like what do you have it in your heart to do for God but then the second question 
is what does God have it in his heart for you to do? Right? Those aren't always exactly the same, but we should be asking both questions. What is it that you want to do for God? And what is it that God wants you to do? Andy Stanley, who's a, a famous pastor, pastor that, uh, that I've learned a lot from, honestly, about leadership mainly, he tells his story about becoming a pastor uh, in, his, in one of his books. And uh, he, often you get asked in ministry circles, like, what was your call to ministry like? And, and what people really want from you is like, well, one day I was sitting outside alone in the dark and all of a sudden the stars rearranged and it said chad be a pastor that's kind of the expectation right and then if you don't have a story like that which i really don't honestly they kind of look at you like oh okay can't believe they let you do that you know they don't say that out loud but like oh you'll probably fail um and so andy stanley doesn't have that moment either which made me feel a lot better and one of the reasons this story stuck with me and his dad is also a famous pastor and, and they're driving in the car and and he looks at his dad, and, and his dad had, had said, like, hey, why do you feel like you should go into ministry? And Andy Stanley's like, can I just want to? <laughs> like, is that okay? And his dad, the way he tells the story, his dad kind of sat there like, I don't know. And then he's like, I guess so. Um, and, and in fact, the New Testament says that if somebody aspires to be an overseer, uh, then, then they aspire to a good thing. And so I think I'm okay. I think I can still be your pastor. And I think Andy Stanley's okay, too. But I think that we must ask both questions, like, what do I want to do for God, and what does God want me to do for him? And, and David looks at, at Solomon, his son, and he's like, hey, just consider what God has asked you to do here. It's a big, it's a big deal, a big project. Consider it. Think about it. Now, there's one other thing, just that little section. I know it's a lot out of that little section, but it's, it's really important. And I don't know if this applies to many of you, but, but I think it's worth saying out loud anyway. And, and that is this. Sometimes we struggle when we want to do something, but God is saying you can't let somebody else do it because we want to hold to the power that we have, the, the position that we have, the authority that we have, all of those things. And here David in this, in this little speech that he gives is actually transferring power to his son. And I know, like, he's older, and that makes some sense that he would transfer power to his kid and all of that. But, man, when you look at leaders throughout history, I mean, most of them got to go down. They got to die in order to let go of the power that they have, even to a fault, like when they're no longer ruling their people well, when they're really failing their people. They'll continue to rule because they don't want to give up the position even to their own children. And David here is humble enough to just give it up, you know? I mean, uh, let's say he has a few years left, and some people do think that he reigned with Solomon for a little while. There was a transition period. I mean, it's, it's humility, right? This says, look, this isn't about me. This is about the glory of God, the very thing that dictated David's life for almost the entirety of his life, except for, as 1 Kings 5 says, that one moment when he gave in to sin with Bathsheba. And then in 1 Chronicles 28, 11 through 18, which I, I won't read to you, David, David uh, lays out the plans, like full out lays them out, the plans for this new building where God will rest 
the temple. And there's a couple of things that I won't talk about this morning, but I just want to just bring them up because they're, they're important to the heart of our church. I mean, really kind of at the heart of those verses is the presence of God. This is where the presence of God will be. It will be where God rests and God is and where we can speak to God, all of that stuff. And the presence of God is, is important to David. And then the other part of that is the worship of God. He wants to see God worship, and he realizes that this temple will be a place of worship. They're not just building it so that, that they can look good and say, look at this great temple we have in our capital city of Jerusalem. This is about God's presence, God being with his people, and God being worshipped. And I just want to bring that up because at our church, I mean, the vision, the mission statement is, is to experience and express the glory of God and that's new to us but it's so important because because David when he builds this temple is really building something that would be a type a model for what the church would be the church is called the temple of God and when we gather we gather and we should understand that God's presence is unique in this place with us and we should gather for the purpose of worship no matter what we do on a Sunday morning our drive should be to worship God because we believe that God is with us in a very unique way. And in verse 12, he says, this is what David says, he gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord. And it's this interesting phrase because people debate about whether David had these plans in his mind or whether or not the Holy Spirit like miraculously gave these plans to David. And I like that it's complicated because it gives us the idea that, that maybe these are one and the same. Sometimes the thing that God equips us with in our brains is the thing that God wants us to do. And I believe there's lots of people, I do, I just think that, that I know people who are like, well, I, I have this idea that could really do some good for God. But ah, it's just a crazy idea. But maybe you should stop and consider, as he told Solomon, whether or not this crazy idea is actually something God wants you to do for his glory and for his purposes. Look, David says, look, trust God. David says, wholeheartedly serve God. And now in verses 11 through 18, this is just so crazy to me. David says, look, oh, by the way, I wanted to do this. I couldn't do this. Here's the blueprint for making it happen. I brought you a blueprint of the temple, the first temple. It's rough. It's not from the hand of David. Um, but but here's, here's what I wondered as I thought about this. Who are you, Do you say drawing the blueprints? Who are you drawing the blueprints for so that they can do something that impacts the world for God? I think that one of the greatest ways that we can live a life that is meaningful and impactful is by drawing the blueprints for somebody else to do something that we wish we could do. And so I would just ask you to consider, like, what blueprints are you drawing and handing off to somebody else so that they can do something that you wish you could do? This lady that I met on Monday when I spoke, and, and I'm not, uh, I don't do a ton with the denomination, and, and, and so I'm not in those circles uh, that often, and, and uh, it's the first time I think that really in our association, um, I, I've been like introduced in a, you know, a public way to more than like two people at a time. And, and this lady came up to Bryn after we were done and, and she 
had been a part of planting this church back when it was Wilsonville Baptist many years ago. And this lady would prayer walk and she went door to door and apparently the pastor who I've actually spoken to this pastor even though this was many, many years ago on the phone once, Dwight Huffman, uh, he would get mad at her because she would go in people's houses and talk to them about Jesus and our church and, uh, and, and, and frankly, if you talk to anybody who was at the church during that area, era of, of our church's history, they would in fact tell you that they, they failed. The church dwindled down to basically nobody. There was a service that I actually have on DVD where the church, uh, where they were shutting down, but they decided to carry on in the, the name of Wilsonville Baptist with a Bible study. We have two of those people that were a part of that six or seven person Bible study uh, here this morning. But in this woman's eyes, it was a complete failure. And I'm talking to this lady who went door to door in the name of our church with a different name, but in the name of our church and in the name of Jesus and all of a sudden, I like was emotional. And I looked at her and I'm like, thank you. you. You changed my life. Like You changed my entire life. I mean, I met my wife here for one thing. My kids are being raised here. I love all of you. I think we're accomplishing great things for the glory of Jesus. I think about Isaac and Emily, who we just baptized recently, who aren't here this morning. But without this lady's efforts... They may not be Christians right now. Uh, and so she, I mean, whether it was a good blueprint or not, I'm not sure, but, but she laid a, a, a foundation anyway for what we do today. And she didn't see anything. I mean, they, if you talk to people who are part of Wilsonville Baptist, then they're like passionate about how they wanted to see success in Wilsonville and didn't get to see it. Uh, I mean, this is, I've, I've had basically three conversations now with people that were a part of our church in th th that era, that very early era, who were like, I wanted to see that succeed, and it just didn't. But they put down plans and a foundation that allows for us to be here this morning and do what we do and to impact the people that we're impacting. I mean, this used to be, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, this used to be over in this area of, of the world. There was a, a cult, a very major cult out here called the Living Enrichment Center that had an international following in Wilsonville. And when I talked to somebody from that era of our church's history, they said, you know, I think one of the reasons that that place closed down is because we prayer walked every single day and we would prayer walk there and just pray for God to do something about the problem that was the Living Enrichment Center. And those people didn't see the Living Richmond. I mean, Dwight Huffman's in Canada. This lady probably thinks the Living Richmond Center is still out here, you know. I mean, like they didn't get to see that, but they, they, they laid a foundation. They drew a blueprint. And great things are still happening because of what they did. And I'm telling you that if you want to live a life of impact, then you must equip others by enabling others to more fully Glorify God. Who are you enabling to do something great for the glory of God? And in First Chronicles 28, 19, I mean, this is David almost says, all this David said, I have been writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. He enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. Who, what has God enabled you to enable someone else to do? You may not be able to do it, but, but how can you enable somebody else to do something that God has placed in your heart to see 
done. And then in the last two verses, First Chronicles 28, 20 and 21, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God and every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey every command. David David encourages Solomon in the work. We can equip others by encouraging them to trust God. We, we can encourage other people. Frankly, when I look around, especially, and, and like I said, I mean, we're, we're in our denomination. We like being a part of our denomination, but we're not really connected. But, but when I go to some of the things and meet some of the people, there's a lot of people. And I tried to address this in many ways uh, on Monday night. And Bryn was mad at me because sometimes when I'm feeling angry and preaching and people amen me, I get angrier because it's like, I'm talking about you. Like, I'm, I don't like that you're amening. Don't let it be, which is what amen means. Like, change. I didn't say any of that. But, but like, I, I look at some of the, the, frankly, dying churches, and there's 75 churches in, in, the, uh, in our association of our denomination. And if you're a visitor, you think we talk about our denomination a lot, but I don't do this very often. But, but like, like literally like 70 of them feel like they're on their last legs, uh, perhaps more than 70. I was told once that there's two churches that feel like they have life in, in this uh, Portland metro area, and there's a lot of churches um, that are connected. And one of the great problems I see is that there are older people who are frustrated that they haven't accomplished more but they're not enabling anybody else to accomplish the work that they wish that they could have accomplished. I sat with the guy in our denomination and said, I'm bothered by something. Like, our plan seems to be to plant a church next to the dying church. And it's weird to me because the dying churches have the buildings and the resources. So what are we doing? He said, we'd love to do something different. But as Baptists, we... We believe in the autonomy of the local church, and we believe that the local church has the right to do what they want. And so we sit with these dying churches, and we say, hey, we think that maybe you could connect with this you know, younger, thriving, trying, growing, healthy church. And they're like, eh, nah. That was not what David would have done. This is why the impact of these people is dying with them. Because they are not enabling somebody else. They are not setting somebody else up for success. And I hope that we are a church that doesn't think like, well, we're just going to do what we can do because we'll feel good about ourselves and we'll accomplish all this. But I hope we're a church full of people that says, I got so much in my heart that I want to do for God. And if God says no, then I'm going to make sure that somebody else has the ability to do it. And I will, I will draw the blueprints even for them. As long as the work is done, for our God. I saw this uh, statement. You can count the apples on the tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? And I like it, right? Because we can be a seed, right? We all want to be a tree. Like, look at me and look what I've done. Look at all the fruit that I'm producing. But what if we could be a seed? Have you ever heard of Edward 
Kimball? Probably not. He's the guy that led Dwight Moody to Jesus. Dwight Moody, if you've been in Christian circles, you've heard of. I mean, this is a great evangelist. Nobody knows Edward Kimball, but he laid a blueprint for somebody else. Have you ever heard of Mordecai Ham? Maybe if you've read a biography about Billy Graham, because he's the guy that was preaching when Billy Graham decided to give his life to Jesus. And the reality is more of us will be Edward Kimball's and Mordecai Ham's than Dwight Moody's or Billy Graham's. That rhymed unintentionally again. Two weeks in a row I've rhymed things on accident. But it's like, are you willing? I mean, what if those guys would say, well, I'm not as famous as I want to be. You know, I didn't get the radio rights back then and I'll give it up. I just wonder who you're equipping to do something great for God and I just, I think like we can equip others by expressing the work of God. I made these all ease for you. We can equip others by exhorting wholehearted devotion to God. We can equip others by enabling others to more fully glorify God. We can equip others by encouraging them to trust God. And and here's just how I want you to think and what I want you to believe. And if you truly love Jesus, if you really believe this gospel story that, that, our religion is built on, that our lives should be built on, that Jesus came and died for us and he rose again so that we might have eternal life. If you really believe that, then it should not matter whether your name goes all over the world. We should only, it should only matter to us that Jesus' name goes all over the world. And so I just want to say like, hey, remember this. Your greatest impact might come from equipping someone else to make an impact. But your heart has to be right. Your desires have to be right. And as we've seen throughout this series, you must be a person that wants God's glory more than you want your own glory. But if that's true of you, if you want God's glory more than your own glory, then draw the blueprints and remember that your greatest impact might come from equipping someone else to make an impact. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that we would be a church full of people who are passing on the work to others, but more than just passing on, off the work, God. We're really passing it on. And and I see people who just don't do anything. They stay in the truck, Lord, and they don't care about glorifying you, Lord. But for those who are here this morning that really want to do something for you, I pray that they would not be discouraged when you tell them no. But instead, they they would do everything that they can do in order to help somebody else do the work that they know will glorify you, God. I pray that they would look and say, how has my mind or my heart or my abilities been gifted or equipped or enabled to to help somebody else do this incredible thing, whatever it is on their hearts for your glory, God. I pray, God, that we would never be people who are in it for us. Especially pray that for me, God. It's hard uh, in my role to not at some points really want to raise my platform, God, but I pray that would not be a part of my life nor it would be a part of our lives God but but we would just want to see your platform raised God and you worshipped all because we understand the incredible grace that you have given us and as David looked to his past and remembered all that you had done for him we have even more God I mean you raised him up to be a king Lord but you have done something even more grand and great for us you have you have given us the gift of eternal life Lord where we will one day walk in heaven with you 
because of what you did on the cross. And so when we think about doing great work, let it always be attached to you, God, and not to us. I pray we would be people who equip others to make an incredible impact. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. I just hope that you'll respond to this during the next sermon, or next song, excuse me. I hope that you will, that you during this song, I mean, you can sing if you want to sing, but I hope you'll just bow your head before God. You'll say, God, what is it that you want me to do for you? Please, God, place it on my heart to do something for you. And, and, And if God says, hey, yeah, here's what I want you to do, but you can't do it. God, what do you want me to, who do you want to do it? Who do you want to have do it? I'll, I'll help. But really, just sit alone with God during this song and say, God, what is it that you want me to hear this morning? And after this song, Brandon will invite you to come forward and take, uh, to grab communion. Matt will come out and lead us in taking it together.